Yeah, so back before I was married, man. Uh, I used to be in high school. And I, uh, so I had this high school girlfriend that I was dating. And we had, like, we dated all through high school. And so it was, like, a relatively serious relationship. Yeah, it's pretty serious. High school. I went up to college. And I was like, I think, like, I'm ready to not be dating anymore. (laughs) Is that how you broke up with her? uh, Not much better than that. (laughs) It was my first girlfriend, therefore my first breakup. So I was (laughs) emotionally not working with a full deck. Um, So we broke up. And for me, I was like, this is, like, over. Um, Like, we're done. Like, we broke up. And for her, it was very much not over. And we... I applied for the summer camp in New York because I lived in Oregon. I was like, I want to get away as far away from Oregon for the summer as I can. And she applied to work at the same camp. And so I had to call the camp director and I was like, hey, you can't hire this person. And then I came back from camp. Well, then actually, she actually got a job at the camp next door. uh, Oh, wow. And coached like a soccer team of third grade boys to bring them to our camp so that she could see me. It was wild. And then I went to like I got back. Summer was over and I went to my church. And she did not go to church. She wasn't religious. And she, over the summer, started volunteering at this church so that she could, like, greet me at the door. And I remember she, like, embraced me. She gave me a hug. And she's, like, like whispered so gently, I miss you. <laughs> and so I thought that would be an interesting story to kick off boundaries as we talk about boundaries in general uh, today. Like, that was, for me, I was like, I need to, A, end things better. But also boundaries became very important for me. And I was like, that was a huge display of no boundaries. It's kind of like a real life Legally Blonde situation where like he broke up with her and went to Harvard. And so she got into Harvard, but I'm, more creepy. I'm not sure I've seen Legally Blonde, but that sounds like a Legally Blonde And the recording. I can't believe we're going to watch Legally Blonde and then come back. Um, yeah, boundaries. That yeah. is a crazy. How did you set boundaries with her? Or did you just avoid her? I just avoided her. Okay. <laughs> but boundaries are interesting, like what we're talking about, because was we like have gone through this whole process of recording these episodes and even talking about deconstruction. Like that's one thing that you and I had talked a little about was the aspect of boundaries. Mm. And so I'd be interested, like for you as you think about boundaries, like obviously my high school girlfriend and those boundaries are very different and boundaries in other situations. But have you needed to explore boundaries as you've gone through this or like set clear ones for yourself, for others? Mm. Like what has that whole journey been like for you as you've gone through this? So my whole life I've been horrible at boundaries. Just like okay. – <laughs> just it it hasn't – it's shown itself in my deconstruction. But just in general, I'm not a boundaries person. I say yes to everything hmm. and then I get burnt out and then I resent people. It's a whole fun cycle. Okay. Um <laughs> But what I was processing, I was processing this in the car on the way here, is I think why boundaries and deconstruction can be hard is because I don't think we're allowed, we we don't feel allowed to set a lot of boundaries when we're really inside the church space. Because I think growing up, you often feel like, oh, I'll speak for myself. I often felt like if I was in a church space, I owed everyone every part of my story. Hmm. And, like, if they asked me a question, I had to answer it because they were there for my spiritual good. Right. And so, and think about that if you're like, oh, well, I need this day off of church. Well, it's kind of like, oh, guess we see where your priorities are. Like, there's a lot of, at least in my experience, there's a lot of, like, guilt around setting boundaries within the church space. And I think we take some of that when when we leave the church space, even, like, for us, for a season. So saying, like, basically in my deconstruction, I've had to learn that 
I don't owe everyone my story. Mm. And like, I don't know. I don't have to give everyone an explanation. Yeah. There's a lot of good things in that that are interesting that I want to unpack more. So like, so you're, you're bad with batteries and (laughs) you're, but self-aware enough of the cycle that you said, like you have been a part of the cycle. So how have you seen, have you seen any of those lack of boundaries manifest themselves within the deconstructing journey you're in where Mm. like, if your faith life or boundaries with other people or boundaries with the church or how you've been involved have landed you just in the space of burnout and resentment, do you see that cycle repeating itself now? Or have you shed that cycle? You have not shed it. That would be amazing, but not there yet. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I think when I, so for a season of time, like during one semester, I pretty much didn't attend church and I just kind of like, I kind of just said like I needed a breather and mm-hmm. I talked to multiple people about it and I was like, I think church is so important and I feel really bad. But like, I'm also every time I'm going to church, I'm just angry and I don't think that that is glorifying to God yeah. for me to just get pissed and sit like sit in church. And I talked to a bunch of people and they're like, yeah, Emily, like we're not worried that you don't see the value in church. Like, I think it's OK if you're trying to do something that's like spiritually healthy. Um, so that was a boundary that I set that still had a lot of guilt around it. Um, but I think that was almost easier. Like that boundary was easier because it was very clear of like, I'm not going to enter into a space where I, where I get really frustrated. Mm. But I think what's been more, I think boundaries and deconstruction to me, looks like when you enter back into a church space, not entering back into your lack of boundaries in church life. Yeah. So that's part of my question. So like, yeah. you're kind of like you're back into church, but mm-hmm. you're still in this process. Like, do you see like how, how has that process of reintroduction with maybe these new boundaries been? Because you're not just a part of the well, like you participate in a high level, right? And yeah. so you are engaging in a lot of ways. Do you see anything that, I don't know, does that give you any like pause or like fear? Like, Hey, maybe I'm just like repeating the same process over again. Or like, have you found more freedom in the way you're engaging? Like, what has that process mm. been like? I often feel like if I'm a part of a church space or really any group that I have to, like, earn my keep, yeah. I have a lot of this, like, fear of being a burden um, or being high maintenance. That's, like, a huge theme in my life is, like, I hate the idea of feeling like I'm a high maintenance person. Okay. And so, to me, how I combat high maintenance-ness is um, being as helpful as I possibly can. Enneagram 2 energy. But, yeah. um... <laughs> And so, like, because of that, I do sometimes feel like I'm going, like, I go back into that because I want to prove that I belong and I'm ultimately, like, a helpful part of the well or whatever church I'm in and not, like, a hindrance or a burden or, like, mm-hmm. sucking the life out of where I am. Yeah. Which is how I feel like I naturally am, which I'm not saying is true, but, like, that's my, that's what my default view okay. of myself is. But I think for me, like... That's something that I need to work on and be able to say, like, okay, I don't have to say yes to everything. But a big part of boundaries and deconstruction to me has been listening to my body. Yeah. And part of that is, like, if I'm in a space, let's say a volunteering in church space, and I feel frustrated or burnt out or something like that, then before I would have said, Emily, guess what? The heart is deceitful above all things. Who freaking cares what you feel? Do it. (laughs) And so part of deconstruction has been, if I'm made in the image of God, then my body 
can be saying something important that I should listen to. And so to me, boundaries and deconstruction is said, what is my body saying to me? And what does that tell me about the boundary I need to set in that situation? And that looks like that's a, that looks a certain type of way in volunteering in a church. But another big thing to me has been, um, like singing worship songs. Um, I had a friend say like, it is a bodily boundary for me that I am not going to sing something that I think is like harmful theology. Yeah. And I was like, oh yeah, like that. I'm not going to make my body say something or sing something that is something that has harmed me. So yeah. if I'm singing a song and it's like, I'm a worm, there's a song, there's a Presbyterian song that we sing that's like, you may, will thou pursue thy worm to death? And I was like, yeah, I'm not going to sing that anymore because yeah. I find that to be harmful to me. And I don't think that that's how God sees me. Yeah. Well, I have to keep an eye out during service to see like which songs you're singing or not singing. Um, <laughs> that's interesting. Like, and I think a good way to look at like, oftentimes we compartmentalize, I think our faith and our spirituality. Mm -hmm. And it's like, and you said this in previous conversations, like it's, it was a head thing for a while, mm -hmm. but understanding like if all of us is created in the image of God, then our emotions, our mind, our spirit, our body, all of that like plays a key part. Um, I think in that process, I do want to go back to something you said though. Uh, and you talked about owing people your story mm. and like being like you had to tell people all yeah. of who you were and are all of what you, whatever that looked like, but mm -hmm. you owed it to them. And so I wonder then like, as you're building new boundaries and sharing your story and being vulnerable and engaging in community, like how have you found the exploration of that new boundary of inviting people into your story, sharing your story? Is that difficult? Are you more reserved? Like what has that whole process been like? Yeah, I think I'm pretty open with my deconstruction because I I think it's important to have people that are honest and open about this topic to see that, like, you're not alone on this. Like, when I post about deconstruction type things, I get a lot of messages from people that are like, I didn't think I was allowed to also be feeling this way, but I am. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. So that's important to me. But then I think if I am hit with, like, let's battle it out for like about your deconstruction or about some choices you're making in mm -hmm. your Christian life now, those are boundaries that I'm going to set and that I don't have to share. Ev I don't have to defend myself for why I'm doing this. If I don't think you're actually coming in with a, like a curiosity and willingness to listen. Yeah. When before, if like as if a spiritual authority figure would have said like, tell me every reason why you're doing this. And this is why I think it's wrong. I would have been like, well, I have to listen to you. And now I'm like, no, I can set that boundary on, like, here's an example. Have we already talked about Goodreads on this podcast? I don't think so. No, I was talking about that with my therapist. <laughs> she was like, all your issues happen on Goodreads. Do you know what Goodreads is? I don't. I think it's like a book website, isn't it? <laughs> it's a book website. Yeah. It's like a book social media. <laughs> oh. <laughs> where, <Wolf. laughs> where you just post about what books you want to read and what books you are reading and reviewing them. Okay. <laughs> so i i read some like rob bell and richard Rohr. yeah i know um but like great great I, authors I know, but, um, i had some people who follow me on goodreads tell other people in my life like well emily is for sure going to hell now okay oh, and so homegirl had to block people on goodreads like did i ever think that would be an issue no 
Yeah, I didn't know you could follow. I didn't know what Goodreads was, but I didn't know you could follow people. <laughs> oh, yeah, follow me. If, yeah. Unless you're going to tell me I'm going to hell, <laughs> then you don't have to follow me. But it was a boundary that I set of like, I'm just here saying this is what book I'm reading. I don't need people questioning my eternal salvation. Yeah. Yeah, there is an interesting, like, and Dustin and I were talking about this before you got here. Like, one of the things I've been the most surprised about on TikTok is the people that fight in the comments mm. for the sake of just, like, telling people they're wrong. And there's no curiosity. There's no desire to say maybe I'm wrong. No desire to be illuminated in any way. And I think that is an interesting thing. Like, and going back to your story, when you're talking about like people, there's this one side where people are like, oh man, I see you going down the path of destruction. But the cool side of you sharing your story and being able to invite other people into it is that you're helping other people navigate their story. And I think that's really the positive thing about our stories is they shouldn't be weaponized against us but when we share them with openness like it actually invites other people to start to name parts of their story parts of their journey and move i think closer to god but oftentimes like people are like well you know you don't have it all together i disagree with you or i'm going to tell you all the things that you're doing wrong rather than letting it be a stepping stone for other people and and part of me like creating boundaries with people especially people in authority who maybe have stuff like pushback against me is i'm just now learning that my voice has value and so part of that is is i know that when i enter into a dynamic where someone is like really criticizing me i'm like you're probably right i'm don't listen to me and so part of me is fighting for my own space in the conversation Mm. and saying if i'm going to go into a conversation and my voice is not valued or heard then i actually think that will be like steps back on the progress that i've been making Mm. But, okay, Danny, actually, like, talking about TikTok and social media and the way people just fight in the comments, you've received, like, a ton of pushback and criticism for what you're doing with The Well and being an affirming pastor in general. Like, how – what does that look like for you to have boundaries in your social media presence or in real life if people criticize you? Yeah, I think it's it's a growing – a growing edge for me. I'm trying to create mm. better boundaries. I think initially I, because I find a lot of, I'm an includer and oftentimes that manifests itself in arguments like me wanting to include you in the conversation. Mm. I feel like and kind of what you said, like I owe you a response, like tell you what I believe, mm. but I can quickly turn. Cause I'm also an Enneagram eight to like, just trying to demolish you. <laughs> so I have had to create boundaries. Like I've just like, I've stopped reading a lot of the comments. Like I'll go through and I'll read them and, um, I give airtime and space to the people that are curious, as you talked about before. Like I had someone message me and say like, Hey, this couldn't fit into a short comment, but I wanted to like give you more context because I'm actually really curious. I disagree with you, but I'm really mm-hmm. curious. And so if people don't agree with me, I've really tried to create space for that. Um, and having those conversations, but just trying to go in to win an argument is like i'm just not there for that anymore i don't need to do that um because a lot of people aren't interested in having an open conversation mm. um and i said this to someone else like i always have like i deeply believe what i believe theologically but i also might be wrong like and i think that's something that you have to come in with and we've lost a little bit of that i might be wrong uh theology mm. uh, but then in person like i i mean i just had a conversation with someone who was it was a part of our community, but really interested in what our engagement with the LGBTQ community looks like. They're an affirming person, but they were a little concerned about how we were going about that. And I've had to really try to figure out how as a leader, 
I bring everyone along mm. and how I can create space for people that are uh, maybe dissenting voices, people that don't align with everything we say. But if we like believe everyone is welcome and we're saying inclusion extends to everyone, someone's inclusion can't come at the cost of someone else's. And so that I think is the hardest part of leadership is like really believing when we say all are welcome. We don't just mean LGBTQ people. Uh, we don't just mean white people. We don't just mean people of color, Democrats, Republicans, liberals, conservatives, whatever. Like, And so that's like the hardest space to occupy. Like when we mm -hmm. say all, we actually mean all and living into the truth of that. Um, and I think I said this, I can't remember if I said this in this space or not. And I feel like that's becoming like a common thing that we keep <laughs> saying, but uh a few weeks ago, like we had a person in a Make America Great Again hat sitting next to a lesbian couple talking during the service. Like we'd usually have conversation during the service and they talked. And that was just such a beautiful picture for me because I imagine they're on different political parties. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's like a wild leap to make. Uh, but it was just so interesting to me because they were really interested in like getting to know each other. And they were at, talking about the sermon. I was like, that's really cool. Um, and nowhere else have I really seen that happen. Mm -hmm. And so when I think about creating boundaries um it has to have a high level of inclusion for people but also you have to have enough confidence in what you believe but then also saying i might be wrong like there's so many there's a huge nuance to it and i think i'm growing in it all the time but um i also fail in it a lot of times like i let my sin take over and i want to battle people and i uh, i mess up more than i get it right yeah i really struggle with balance i'm a very like a naturally black and white person of like okay. I'm either gonna do all like listen to every single person and every single person in my story or like no one gets to hear it. Like yeah. I struggle living in the gray, even though I'm really drawn to the gray, if that makes sense. Yeah. But I think like I this is where I wrestle with like my current boundaries that are forming and they're not super solid. I'll admit that, but like I when I have said no to a conversation that I didn't think would be like edifying that I thought would just kind of like make make me feel bad for being where I'm at theologically yeah. I was like accused that that was like kind of culty of me to not be letting people enter in with dissenting arguments. Yeah. So where is the balance of like not being culty and like I only listen to people I agree with? Versus boundaries that are saying, mm. I actually don't think that this will be a productive conversation and will probably just be discouraging. Yeah, I think that's that is a really interesting like thought because I think you have to have those other people around you to have those voices, but they also have to be people that you trust, right? Mm. And so I'm very cognizant of that that. I don't want to create an echo chamber of just people that agree with me because it's one of the reasons when I went to seminary, I went to a more conservative seminary because I didn't want to be in a room with a bunch of progressive people and just like mm. pat our backs about how progressive we were. Like that wasn't very compelling to me. I wanted to be challenged. I want to hear other people's perspectives. I have other pastor friends that disagree with me on various topics and we stay in relationship together. Um, a, because we're friends first, but B, it, I think it makes my, understanding of what I know to be true and what I believe better as I have people around me. Mm. And my thoughts are always growing and evolving. Like they're not static. Um, and so when I think about like that situation for you, I think it is interesting because you don't want to be in an echo chamber of just people. Right. But I don't think it's culty to say I'm not going to engage with people that are just trying to tell me all the reasons I'm wrong. Mm. 
And I think that's the thing for you and for anyone else that's in this is like trying to figure out who are the voices around you that actually care about you as a person and the people and the voices around you that are going to walk with you regardless of where you land with care for you as a person at the forefront. Because I think if they like truly care about you and they're walking with you, then you as the person are just going to be the biggest issue and the biggest like mm. center point to what the relationship is and your other beliefs or things that they want to engage and talk with you about, but it's not going to be the only thing, if that makes sense. Cause I think oftentimes it can be like, I just want to win you over, but it's actually just when that argument that I, or the disagreement I have with you over, not actually you as a person. Mm. But here's okay. Here's the thing with that though. Is there are people for some reason, this is so much more intense to me than other disagreements that don't involve theology because so often mm -hmm. I think in both in both of our situations, um, we have experienced people saying, okay, not just like, oh, I don't really agree with you, but like, okay, have fun in hell. Yeah, yeah, I like, get that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> but like the thing is, is this becomes way bigger than we disagree on this issue. Like, yeah. I'm trying to, like if you said, Emily, I love chocolate ice cream. And I was like, I think that's disgusting. I'm not like, well, your eternity is sealed and have fun. Yeah. just being in misery like i would just yeah. be like ah oh, dang well i think you're wrong but no big no biggie yeah like, and so there's something about mm. i was talking to someone that said i have a hard time talking with my parents about deconstruction because he said this was like so powerful he said when i i feel like when i'm talking to them i see in their eyes them like thinking about their son in like the lake of fire yeah like it, and i i think that's true so like how do we combat the fact that to a lot of people, this um, this discussion or this disagreement is an eternity issue. Yeah. I don't know that I have a good answer for that. Yeah. But I think it's, it's – for me, it's so interesting because it's, I think, connecting dots that aren't exactly there. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, like the idea that if you're not doing this thing mm. – like, if you're not going to church, you're going to hell. If you're not, if you don't believe this thing, you're going to hell. And again, I think it's, it is a, I, so I guess to maybe go back on what I said, like, I guess they do deeply care about you because the idea is they don't want you to burn forever. Mm, yeah. uh, I guess that's the most caring thing you could want for someone. <laughs> but I think if they deeply care about you, they're willing to talk with you about the whole issue and get the hell argument out of it and like talk to you about what you actually believe if that makes sense because mm. i think i guess i mean i get it fundamentally like i care about you and so if i knew that you had impending doom in some fiery pit i would do what i could to help you avoid that yeah but i would talk to you about the here and now not the not yet which is this fire down the road and figure out how we can talk about where you are here and now like i think mm. we're jumping a little bit to conclusions and not actually sitting in the here and now. And I think being in the present is the most healthy and fruitful thing we can do. I mean, it's like me, I'm not a worrier. And, and so like when people worry about the thing that they have on Friday and they have, they just have a awful Monday through Thursday. I don't understand that. Like, okay. let's talk about Monday. Let's talk about Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. <laughs> and I think that's what I see happening is like, we're worrying so much about this thing down the road that we don't even know for certain 
and we're worrying about that more than all these other moments. And then we forget and we pass by all these other things. Mm. And then we never really lived in any of those other spaces because we are so worried about this thing that was down the road. Dang. We never yeah. really lived in any of those other spaces. That's a great line. Yeah. I write a book about it. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the hell, we should talk about hell sometime, like do a deeper dive on that, like heaven, hell, afterlife. Because a lot of like the theology and imagery we have is like based on books like Dante's Inferno and like yeah. aren't actually found in scripture. But I think there is this like, yeah, I think we're just, we're we're fast forwarding when we could just sit in the moment with someone. I'm thinking of this image of like if you like, let's say if like your daughter Gracie was like running and she was gonna like fall into a keep my daughter out of this. <laughs> No, go ahead. Like, like fall into, I don't know, like some pit or something, but it's like far away. Yeah. If you kept like talking about the pit, I feel like she would become more curious. Yeah. And versus saying like, let's talk about right now. What if we go to the park instead of to the pit? Like, I don't, the, I, this isn't, this is analogy is kind of yeah. crumbling, but I think you maybe know what I'm saying. Well, yeah. I, I don't know that it's completely connected to what we're talking about, <laughs> but I do know that as a parent, like, I think if I said, hey, to Knox or Joe, um, or Grace, I mean, being a one-year-old, like, right, mm. if I'm like, hey, can you please not slobber all over my Xbox remote so that we can watch Netflix later and you don't short it out? She'll be like, oh, you mean this one? And go, ooh, and just eat it, right? So if I tell her don't do something or tell her to stay away from something, she's going to go towards it. And so I think similarly, like, if you're talking about, like, hey, there's this pit down the road, I think if you just sat here with this like if i sat with my kid at the moment just talked or redirected them they would have very little concern about this thing and would mm. likely never make it that direction but if i'm like hey there's this thing that's over there that's pretty dangerous and it's probably gonna kill you they'd be like oh i kind of want to check that out for a second like get as close as i can right so Th this actually is very connected i think because oh, good. <laughs> I, I i didn't know where it was going and all of a sudden it hit me so i think sometimes when we say things like to people, I was speaking to someone who would consider themselves agnostic, and they were saying, if doing all this, if doing everything that I'm doing is leading me to hell, then I think that's where I want to be. Mm. And I think that's so interesting. I think almost when we've taken deconstruction or taken being not religious and being like, have fun in hell, guys, they're like, well, I'm kind of like, this is more compelling to me than the church life that you're offering. So yeah, maybe hell would be more compelling to me too. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's, I just think the, the vernacular and the language that we've built around heaven and hell. And I know like for my brother, that was, is more agnostic if anything, like the imagery of it, like, and not even the imagery, but he's like, if the hell and the heaven that you talk about as a religious person is what I'm striving for, that doesn't sound like the most compelling thing anyway. And so I do think there is a little bit of like how we've gone about even articulating like the point. And I think we've talked about this before, just individually, like oftentimes we only engage in our faith to like keep people away from hell. And I think like religion, faith and the story Jesus offers us isn't at its best to get out of hell free card. It's like mm -hmm. a relationship and transformation and like shalom, completeness and wholeness and being able to live with someone that loves you and creates you and completeness and wholeness. But the story we've mostly told people for the last like, 60 years it's like you should become a follower of jesus so that you don't burn in hell and that's like a very different story than you should be a follower of jesus because you're going to experience a completeness and wholeness that's better than anything you've ever experienced 
Mm. But I think we lead with hell, and that's not very compelling. Yeah, like if okay, I'm I'm stuck on this analogy now. Yeah, I if, love it. If you're like, if you're tr- <laughs> if if you're trying to like redirect Gracie, you're not going to say like go to this park because the pit sucks. You're going to talk about the beauty of the park. Yeah, you're going to say there's slides and swings, and I think I think that's what yeah. we do with hell is we say like. I don't know if the park's any good, but the pit, you're not going to like it. Yeah. And then they're like, okay, I guess I'll go to the park, but I'm not pumped about the park. Yeah. No, I think that's, that is actually really good. Enough. I like that. That's really good. <laughs> actually. Yeah. I was like, I was pretty skeptical as we were going down this. I was like, this will be like cutting room floor stuff that we're talking about. But that was pretty good. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah. So I wonder, like, I, as you think about that, like going back to your personal story of deconstruction. Mm-hmm. How have you shifted from like, hey, I'm trying to just avoid the pit to like the mm. park that I'm going to is actually really awesome. And he, like finding a story about what you're receiving rather than what you're like trying to avoid. Okay, I'm an analogy gal, so we're not leaving this analogy anytime soon. I just hope right. you're okay with that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I think for me, I was running to the park so, <laughs> so fast because I was so scared that people would see that my journey was like, they would see my journey and see that I'm not at the park yet and think like homegirl is going to the pit. Mm -hmm. And what I've realized is like, I'm a big boundary for me, I think has, or not even a boundary, but just something that I've grown in is I'm willing to take my time in my deconstruction Mm -hmm. because it's not like, it's not like the pit is like moving toward me at a rapid pace and I have to run fast enough. Yeah. Which I think that's how I used to think about it. And in general, like I remember telling my therapist, like I was like, I'm just trying to get over deconstruction so I can move on with my life. Yeah. Like I feel like this is a detour and I'm trying to get back to where I was so that I can keep going with my same vision for my life. Mm. And I'm realizing, I think me saying I, I am not headed toward the pit, but the real park is the park we found along the way. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, um, <laughs> like in a sense, like, I don't know if I would, I don't really know what the park represents in this analogy. I don't think anyone knows anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I find analogies really compelling and I take them to a place that no one else finds helpful. Yeah. So I apologize. No, but, I'm still with you. I'm okay. still in the <laughs> Um, But I think, like, what I'm realizing is that it's not, like, a mad dash to the park. And I won't actually enjoy the park if I don't take my time getting there. Yeah. And that's been huge for me. To let go of the fact that this – the pit is not as imminent as I used to think it was. Mm. And then I can take my time. Yeah. That's good. So I want to end the way we've ended previously, which is if you – we were talking about boundaries. We've Mm -hmm. covered – myriad of things but in the realm of boundaries specifically like if you were giving advice to someone like in regards to boundaries as they are deconstructing whether it's personal boundaries relational boundaries church boundaries, whatever like where what would be the advice you would give to someone who's in this process and wondering what boundaries do i need to set honestly my advice would be like what boundaries is your body telling you to set which maybe sounds kind of abstract, but the idea of embodiment, we talked about this in the Bible episode of me having to like 
leave myself at the door to enter into God's truth. Mm-hmm. And I I am starting to include my body in the conversation. So to listen to myself and say, because our bodies hold our memories. And sometimes we have a reaction that we don't even, we can't even pinpoint the memory, but we have implicit memory in our bodies. And so if we have a reaction to something, my body is like saying, oh, I'm trying to protect us from a place that we felt unsafe or burnt out or exhausted. And so I think my advice to people setting boundaries and deconstruction is kind of like I said at the beginning, one, you don't know everyone in your story. It's okay to set boundaries. I think that's the first thing. It's okay to set boundaries. Yeah. And I'm sorry if you were told that you're not really allowed to. Yeah. Or and, your boundaries were wrong. <laughs> yeah. And then two, like, I think your body deserves a voice in the conversation. Yeah. How incarnational of you. I mean, it's very interesting. Like, so we think about this, we talk about the word becoming flesh, right? Like mm. dwelling among us, like yeah. God becoming flesh and blood. And so body and incarnation, like that matters. That's a deep part of Christian theology. But often I think we re- disregard that in terms of our like physicality. And I think what you're saying is like really spot on, but also something we don't think about. Like if God became flesh and dwelt among us and God's body was a huge part of the theology that we believe, the body and the blood of Jesus, like our bodies and the incarnational nature of our spirit and our faith really matters. Mm-hmm. And it's something I think worth exploring that I, I say as, as someone I was talking about preaching, I was like, you should never raise something in a sermon that you're not willing to like land, which is 100% what I just did, because we're not going to talk about that much more like the incarnational theology <laughs> thing. But I do think it's something worth exploring more of like, if we believe in the incarnation of God becoming flesh and blood, in that mattering, like how does an incarnational understanding of our body and our spirit and our soul actually assist us in deconstruction? I think it's a really interesting conversation to have. Let's think of it as a cliffhanger. Cliffhanger. You'll be on the edge of their seats. When are they going to talk about bodies? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, yeah, God loves bodies. He has one himself. Yeah. I don't know who said that, but it wasn't me originally. Did someone say that? Yeah. Oh, nice. I kind of thought you just made it up. <laughs> Yeah. Um, all right. Any final thoughts on your end? I think we did it. I think we nailed it. Yeah. All right. Thanks for listening and embrace the journey. Yeah.